really does. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 22. The Bible says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You don't need another reason to want to be saved. See, there's only two men in human history. The first Adam and the last Adam. Every human being, regardless of your title, whether you're an aborigine that's bowing before a tree or you're somebody that lives in Beverly Hills, every single human being falls in one family or another. And it's either in Adam, Adam's family or the second Adam, Jesus Christ. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits afterward, they that are Christ at his coming, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. Now this is, this is mind-boggling scripture. I'm going to do my very best with the help of the Holy Ghost to unpack this. Verse 24, then cometh the end. he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. Notice the terminology, because we're going to refer to this a little bit later on. Verse 27, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted. That's, that means an exception. That means that while Jesus was subjugating all enemies and all power that was resistant to God, he himself was an exception to that. Which did put all things under him. Now look at verse 28. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, talking about Jesus, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And verse 26 says, the last enemy shall be destroyed is death. And I want to talk to us today about the last enemy. The last enemy. Let's put our Bibles down. Thank God for the spirit of worship and, and glory and faith and awe and wonder that's here. But let's pray right now that the word of God would go forth with unction and there's faith and expectation to hear Father we love you, we praise you, we worship you. We thank you for this opportunity to be gathered together in this nation with certain privileges and rights that we can worship freely. People of the name, people of the revelation, people of understanding. Father, we pray that the word of God would go forth today with all power and illumination and 
understanding. We ask it in the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, and everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, in preparation for this today, I want to tell you, if you haven't guessed already, I'm really a pedal-to-the-metal kind of a person. No, and it's not because I used to play heavy metal. Last pedal in this message anywhere. It's kind of like a Bible study. And I thought, as I meditated and ruminated on that, I thought, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. The Bible tells us in the book of Hosea that there is a dearth in the land and it's a shortage of bread. And it's not talking about man-made food. It's talking about the Word of God. So I, I want to preach, teach, Screech, the word of God here this morning. Will you help me? Will you stay awake? That's about 20% of the congregation, so I feel encouraged. Praise God. This is a difficult passage. Um, it's one of the few passages in the entirety of the word of God that talks a more descriptive passage that we talked about several weeks ago was in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 where it talks about the rapture. This is talking about the resurrection, but it's basically, in some degree, it's talking about the exact same event. But nestled in this incredible chapter that is talking about the, the theological purpose, the theological purpose for the resurrection. I know that all of Christendom, and I'm using that phrase very widely, all of Christendom believes in the resurrection, but theologically, um, many people cannot explain how uh, the resurrection is to affect us and what the resurrection actually means to the church or to the human race. This passage of Scripture theologically nails down a lot of those questions. And we are not going to do a, an exposition of this chapter because it's just too broad, it's too deep, and would go too long. But I do want to focus on a part of this. And the part that we began in verse number 22, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And then the Bible reveals uh, unto us, um, in verse number 23, it talks about every man in his order. Now this is very important because here in chapter number 15, it talks about the order of resurrection. And that is very important to this chapter. Verse number 24, the Bible says, then cometh the end. That's very important terminology, and you don't find that in a lot of places in the Word of God, where you have a definitive point where it says, and then cometh the end. I believe, and in studying and preparing for this um, this morning, you know, no matter how many books you have or how many theological libraries that you can entertain because we have the Internet, it doesn't always mean that you arrive at the correct conclusion. Um, and, and I'm not trying to belittle this or, or minimize this, but just because people have degrees 
does not mean they have revelation. And revelation from the Holy Ghost that you and I have is far superior um, than um, an education. I'm not putting down education, and I, I believe in that. But to have an education without revelation, I would say go get a revelation first. And everybody said amen. But the Bible says in verse 24, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. This appears to be in this epic, E-P-O-C-H, not epic meaning grand or glorious, but epoch, is an incredible passage of time or an age. Or if I was to say in the, in the medium of infinity, of everlasting time, just this chapter that begins with Genesis 1 and 1, and it ends in Revelations chapter number 22. I believe that you are seeing the final act in which Jesus is now, all enemies have been taken care of, everything has been brought to a conclusion, and now the Bible says what Jesus is doing here. It's an amazing scripture. It says, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. This is beyond even the thousand-year period called the millennium. This is after uh, the Battle of Armageddon. This is after the emergence of the Antichrist. This is after the beast. This is after the false prophet. This is after all of that. This appears to be at the very end of time. That after Jesus has put down all insurrection, and it is not complete until the millennium, when Satan is loose for a thousand years, and Gog and Magog and armies one more time will have one last uh, insurrection and resistance against God. This is after all of that. Verse 25. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. All enemies. And that means, in verse number 26, if the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, that means that there is more than one enemy. And we're going to talk about this today. And when he shall, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, in verse number 28, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. The role of Jesus Christ, at least in this segment of eternal eternity, with this period of time from Genesis 1 and 1 to Revelation chapter 22, is complete. In fact, I cannot think of another scripture that is probably more conclusive about that particular moment of time than this one. I'm... Jesus is definitely going to be in eternity, and we are going to be the bride of Christ in eternity future. But in this period of time in which we are going to describe the enemies of God, it has got closure. It has an ending. Aren't you glad that there's going to be an end to all the suffering? Aren't you glad there's going to be an end to all tears? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad there's going to be a future without a devil? Come on, clap your hands and give God the praise. Aren't you glad there's going to be a future without achy bones and heartache and headaches? 
But that time is not yet. But it will come. Verse 21 and verse 22 of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 says, For since by man came death, and by man came also the resurrection of the dead. With every enemy of God, God has an answer. God has a solution. God made a way. And so make no mistake about it, the first Adam is responsible for creating the environment that the human race is in today in the 21st century. For as an Adam all die. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12 says this. Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Death is a direct result of sin. The Bible teaches us in the book of James that the wages of sin is death. Well, Adam is the one that allowed that enemy of God into the human dynamic, into the human experience. And I know, I know in, in, in these massive places called universities and these massive structures built with the hands of men called colleges, that they think that this is hogwash. Nothing goes back farther than the Bible. Not, not the Sumerians, that is the first language that is ever detected was Sumerians that even predated Abram. None of those guys. Nobody goes beyond the biblical record. The biblical record goes back farther than anybody. Which is one of the reasons why we can say that we're people of the truth. Because when you apply that to the church, nobody goes back to the day of Pentecost like we do. You've got all these denominations, and they all claim to go back to the beginning. But they don't speak in tongues. They don't baptize in Jesus. Come on, somebody. They don't baptize in Jesus' name. They don't believe in one God. How can you be the originals? If you're claiming you go all the way back to the beginning, then you have to believe what they believed in the beginning. So death is the last enemy to be destroyed. What is the first enemy? The very first enemy of God in this program of time. And when I, when I use that word time, I am talking about in the thousands, not millions. The very first enemy is Lucifer. He was created to be an archangel. There are three archangels. There's Lucifer, there's Gabriel, and there's Michael. Gabriel is the messenger angel. Michael is the angel of warfare. But Lucifer was the archangel of worship. Ezekiel chapter 28, Isaiah chapter number 14 tell us that he fell. Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning, which means when God gets ready to get rid of somebody, it don't take long. 
because he saw Satan fall as lightning. How fast is lightning? It's pretty fast. Satan is the very first enemy of God. John 8 and 44, the Bible says, From the beginning ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus said that he kills, steals, and destroys. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Now that even predates the creation of Adam and Eve. Because in the book of Job, you don't have to turn there, Brother Clark, but in the book of Job, chapter number 38, verse number 14, it talks about that the sons of God shouted for joy in the day of creation. Which means at the time of creation, Lucifer was still in good standing with God. I per, I'm just going to give you my little personal theology here. It's not a doctrine. It's just my theological view on this. I believe that when Lucifer saw earth, which is the only planet that's alive, it is a living planet. It not only creates life, it sustains life. It is a, it, there is no place like earth in the entire creation. Somebody said, oh, you know, there's got to be little green men out there somewhere. I sure wish they'd show up. Maybe they got an answer to all this stuff. You know why the green men ain't going to show up? Because there aren't any little green men going to show up in a spacecraft. For God so loved the world. This is the center of the universe. This is the center of God's attention. This is the center of God's focus. This is the center of everything. Clap your hands and give him praise. There is no place like earth. Hallelujah. So don't litter. Go hug a tree. I love the outdoors. Unless it's at a landfill. There is no place like the earth. And when God created earth, because God from the beginning had a plan. This is before any of the, the detail of, of, of creation, which there's life. I believe in the mind of God, the logos of God, that God had an intent. He had a reason for creation. The reason why, and I talked about this two weeks ago, the reason why the theory of evolution became so popular in the 19th century is because the 19th century is where you had denominational groups at their height. In 1899, between the years of 1899 and 1900, in the United States, there was only nine mainline denominations. These mainline denominations were also in Europe. And the only Christian witness that the unbelieving world ever saw was mainline denominationalism. Now, I'm not being judgmental, I'm just being factual. There was the ecumenical movement, which was the Catholics, the uh, Episcopalians, and then there was uh, the Disciples of Christ, but that was a later development. And then you had the Presbyterians, you had the Lutherans, you had Baptists, you had several other groups. And that was the only witness 
that the unbelieving world ever saw was mainline denominationalism. And so when Darwin came along with this humanistic theory of where life began, people had nothing really to believe in because belief has to go beyond print on a page. This is why many denominations today are actually dying. They're regressing. I'm not being judgmental. This is a, this is a demographical fact. It's a sociological fact that many denominations are unwilling to win people. And so the average age of their congregation is in their 60s and 70s and even beyond because they are not winning people. Ladies and gentlemen, Christianity was never intended to be words on a page. It was life. It's power in the Holy Ghost. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. I thank God for what I feel here today. I thank God for what I feel here today. I, my God, when we worship, things happen. Hallelujah. You know, we, we've, got, we've got people, it's good to see Brother and Sister Marks here this morning. Let me give you a little bit of advice. They're, they're, they're in Church Building 101 up in Sandpoint. I want to tell you what. When my wife and I came here um, 26 years ago, we worshiped God just like I worship today. Who's that guy up there doing whirly bird? <clears throat> That's the pastor. <laughs> the pastor? I've never seen a pastor jump and run and do 360s and whirly bird. Honey, I ain't doing this for you. I'm not doing this because you're here. I'm doing this because God, come on somebody, you got to have more power than a bar room, you got to have more joy than a honky tonk. You got to have more excitement than a drive-by. The reason why a lot of churches are not, are not winning anybody is because people are saying, I found what I'm looking for in a little pill that says oxy on it. I got my little pill, and I can tune out. I can distance myself from my, from my reality, which is ugly and horrible, and I can live this alternative. Then you have internet pornography which is one of the major addictions in the world today. Mil hundreds of millions of people are addicted because they can tune out and they can, they can turn on to their dope amine. My wife and I started this church. She played and I jumped up and down. And you know what? You're going to have a lot of people come and say, this ain't for me. But you're going to have somebody saying, I'm tired of heroin. I'm tired of brokenness. I'm tired. You just let God be God. You just. That's why people ain't growing. They can't lose their dignity. They can't lose their sophistication. But honey, you let God be God. Somebody lift your voice and give God the praise. There's somebody here today that's looking for something more. You found it. You found it. You found it. 
You found, come on, lift your voice. Clap your hands. God bless you, you may be seated. And so that's why the theory of evolution landed on fertile soil in the 19th centuries because people were completely turned off by mainline denominationalism because they saw humanistic, they saw, they saw um, prejudice that is not in the Bible, they, they saw hypocrisy, they saw people that didn't have the power to live the life. They saw all people bunching up in little groups instead of this being for everybody. The Spirit poured out on all flesh. And so evolution found fertile soil. But the danger is, is it found fertile soil among academics. And that's where it parked. It parked in academia. And that's why... Um, Evolution reigns in the palaces of higher education. It all start, started with satanic lies. With every single one of these enemies, Satan, when he saw creation and he saw God give dominion to a human being, Satan said, no, no. No, nah. no, nah. I want that. No, nah, I want that. I, I'm not going to allow some, some piece of dirt that is made in the likeness of God have power and rule and dominion over that beautiful planet. And we know that he dwelled in Eden because the book of Ezekiel chapter number 28 says that he dwelled in Eden. He loved it. It's growing. It's lush. It's alive. And that's when I believe the, felt, the fall took place. And then in Genesis chapter 3, Satan, being the father of all lies, this thing is so real. But, and I know that it's, I know it's a challenge for us to expand our thinking, which is why one of the reasons why this church is, is, is bustling and, it, and it's, got, it's got a healthy energy about it, it's got a healthy ebb and flow about it, is because the worship is so dynamic. And worship, when that goes before the word, it's, 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 it's a knockout punch. Like you're only going to get from what I'm preaching today to the same degree that you worship, which makes worship in your own best interest. If you say, you know, if, if this, if what I'm preaching just kind of bounced around like a pinball in your, in your head and it falls out when you get in your car, you'll go, well, that was nice. It was entertaining. I heard that before. But God wanted to take it from pages and apply it to an area of your life when you were praying about it. You've been looking for it. You've been needing an answer. And God said, there it is. Somebody clap your hand. That's how it works. It's the interaction of the power of the Holy Ghost. And so the very first enemy that must be destroyed is Satan. Go to, uh, Brother Clark, go to Revelation chapter number 20, verse number 10. And the devil that deceived them. 
You know what's going to be the most haunting thing in eternity is not somebody that's going to be lost that lived a life of sin and knew that they lived a life of sin. It's going to be somebody that thought that they were right. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the first enemy. First John 3 and 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. That's the first enemy. And then in Revelation chapter 20, he goes into the lake of fire and is tormented forever and ever. The second enemy of our God in this parenthetical period of time, beginning in Genesis 1 and ending in Revelation chapter number 22, is sin. Same 1 John 3 and 8 says this. He that committeth sin is of the devil. That's not you that made a mistake and you ask God to forgive you. This, when sin becomes a lifestyle, when somebody chooses to sin rather than chooses to live for God, he that committeth sin is of the devil. Why? Because the devil, the devil does not want you living for God. He's the first enemy. He does not want us meeting here. He does not want you getting out of bed and getting dressed and living for God when nobody's looking and, and living right and acting right and doing right. And then when we gather together, he does not want you to lift your hands. He does not want you to praise God for who God is. He does not want you to praise God for what God has done. He does not want you to appreciate the blood. He does not want you to call on the name of Jesus. He's trying to suppress that. He's the enemy of God. And he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so when you're baptized in Jesus' name filled with the Holy Ghost, it's a big deal, Brother Wokey, to let God fight the devil through you and take care of your sin problem. Because the number two enemy is sin. Sin is iniquity, disobedience, transgression. It is, it is self-will. And it's a type of human rebellion against God. Man was not created in sin. You know the story. But you can't understand really what we're, this piece that we're trying to put into this puzzle to make it a complete picture unless you understand that God did not create man to be a sinner. God created man to rule and reign with him. Man would be the seen component of authority in the earth. God would be the unseen power 
behind man as man took this world and colonized it. Can you think of the incredible uh, architectural buildings that would be built if man had never fallen? Can you believe what cities would look like if man had never fallen? Glorious works of art that was all that was all inspired by the Holy Ghost and inspired by man's great praise and glory to God. Why don't we get creative here today and give God great praise and great honor? Let's get out of our 3D Pentecostal box and let's be creative with praise. Be creative with worship. Somebody lift your voice. Somebody come out of your religious box. We are rebelling against the devil. We are rebelling against the world. We are rebelling against the fallen nature. Praise him. When you don't exercise your worship, you are not rebelling against the enemies of God. I want to tell you what happens here. Well, pastors, yes, you may be seated. You guys are always the last guy seated. I like that. Hallelujah. When I need bodyguards, I'm going to ask you two guys. But make sure, make sure you're wearing body armor. That's all I can tell you. Oh, I like it. Hallelujah. Where's your wife today? She's in security? We're all being watched. Oh, you know, cornerstone, you know. You, everybody focuses on the personality. That's how you can tell that people are carnal. Oh, you know, I just couldn't. I just, if you leave this church and you go to another church, I can handle that. But if you, go to, if you leave this church and you go nowhere, it's because your problem was God. And you doing things you ain't supposed to be doing. Because they teach against those things in that church. Through the years, I had to have that revelation because I would, like, get depressed. People backslide, and I'd take it personal. And, yeah, we just, we just didn't like the pastor, and we just didn't like Cornerstone, and da-da-da-da. Okay. Where are you guys going to church? We're not going anywhere. Well, their problem wasn't with me. Their problem was with that book. See, when we come together, this is not just some Pentecostal religion. We are against the enemies of God. The devil says you can't worship this way. Honey, just watch me. The world says you can't worship that way. Sit down, shut up, and watch. Sin says you ain't got no right to worship. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I ain't going to let no enemy of God shut me down, put me down, set me down. Everybody in the house, praise him. Everybody in the house, praise him. This is in rebellion to the enemies of God. We represent his truth. We represent his kingdom. We represent his ways. We represent his word. Good to see you. Somebody shout.
All right, you may be seated. See, I'm doing this for your sake. Well, you know, Pentecost, or, you know, cornerstones, this and that. You need a revelation. We're not here to fight people. We're not here to fight anybody. This is rebellion. This is God-ordained rebellion. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the devil is the God of this world. According to Ephesians chapter number 2, he is the prince of the power of the air. When we lift our hands, we are letting the devil know, you ain't got no chains on me. You ain't, got, you ain't telling me nothing. You ain't, you ain't pushing me around. You ain't telling me what to do. I'm free and I know that I'm free. And I'm going to worship God because I'm free. Clap your hands. Lift your voice. Give him praise. Praise him because you can praise him. See, before God actually puts down all resistance and all disobedience and all authorities, he's using us to do it. See, in a church that has that revelation, ain't never going to get pushed around. See, the second Adam came to do what the first Adam did not accomplish. And that was to allow the invisible force use human mechanism to establish the kingdom. It's an invisible kingdom. The second enemy is sin, which is the nature of Satan. And so Satan had to get mankind, he had to deceive him to make sinful choices. In Revelation chapter number 20, verse number 10, we already saw what happens. Go to Revelation chapter 20, verse number 12, please, Brother Clark. This is what happens to sinners because sin is a personal offense to God. God takes it personally. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 15. Brother Clark, I'm sorry, it wasn't on that list, was it? I gave him a big list this morning. Let's, let's have some intermission right now. How y'all doing today? Good to see you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Give somebody an elbow. Little elbow action. Right in the ear. Bing. Just kidding. Hallelujah. Give somebody a high five. Make sure they're wearing gloves. Praise God. God's good. Okay. This is what happens to people that fall under the second enemy. 
And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Okay, that's talking about, I believe that's talking about the 66 books of the word of God. But there is another book, verse number 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead. Hell is just a holding tank. Because the ultimate destination for the damned and the doomed is the lake of fire. And so Gehenna, hell, is not the ultimate destination for lost humanity. It is only a holding tank until this degree of judgment takes place. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and every and they were judged every man according to their works. Verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. There's the holding tanks now, okay, are cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Verse number 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So hold on. Every single human being is going to be judged according to the 66 books of the word of God. There's 66 books here. Unless you believe in the Apocrypha, and then there's like 90 books. We don't believe in the Apocrypha. Those are extra biblical writings that were added by well-intentioned people, but definitely not divinely inspired people. If you're, if you're a born-again believer, and you die before any of this takes place, I believe that we're going to go through what's called the judgment seat of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And every man's work will be judged. You're going to be saved. But it's talking about degrees of merit and reward are going to be whether it's wood, hay, and stubble or gold and silver and precious things. Okay? In Revelation chapter number 20, the first judgment is going to be the word of God. The second judgment is going to be this other book called the book of life. But the reason why we don't see this, Brother Wokey, until Revelation chapter number 20 is because this is the book that every single seal was on. Every single judgment in the book of Revelation was based on this book of life. And it's not opened up until the very end. Because God has given every single human being an opportunity to get into that book. No matter whether it's the, the tribulation, the pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, wherever you want to put the tribulation, whatever deal, the, the great dragon, the antichrist, whatever it is, whatever's coming on the world. God saved this for the very end in the book of Revelation, chapter number 20. And they that are not found written in the Lamb's book of life is cast into the lake of fire. Now, what is this book of life? He's already taken care of the devil. Now he's taking care of sin and sinners, which are his enemies. The Lamb's book of life is a birth record. Somewhere in, in my personal archives in the boxes in the garage, there is a form that was signed on December 11th, 1954, that said Richard Bruce Mayo. Weight was seven pounds. Now it's 700, but, you know, I'm blessed, okay? Seven pounds, 28 inches long, born to Bert Charles Mayo and Shirley Jean Mayo. It's a birth record. You have a birth record of your birth according to the family of Adam. 
It's called a birth certificate. It details who your parents were. It details where you were born. It details what time you were born. It details all, those, all that information. It's your first item of record that associates you with hu humanity. But there is another birth record. Cody Cobbs, born at Cornerstone. You gotta be born again. You gotta come out of the Adams family. You gotta get into the family of he who is the champion of all time, who destroyed all enemies, all principalities, all power. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Somebody say, praise the, Lord. praise the Lord. Well, Pastor, I don't believe that human beings, you know, every once in a while you hear somebody in the world that is, that is biblically uneducated that says we are all children of God. Okay, we're going to blow that little theory out of the water. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 21 says this. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now has he reconciled. If you, have not, if you are not a believer and you have not obeyed the born-again message that was preached by the original apostolic church, then you only have one birth certificate. But make no mistake about it. When you were born, you were an enemy. James chapter 4 and verse number 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Oh, I just got to see what's on, what's on um, cable tonight. We got to see. What about the 24-hour prayer? Are you on the 24-hour prayer chain? Every single member of this church, if you come here, you should be on that 24-hour prayer chain. We are not a lover of the world. I can care less what the fashions are. I can care less who's doing what. I can care less what movie's playing. I can care less what anybody who so therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 19. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, Adam listened to the devil. And because sin entered in, now death is the end result. So all the enemies are included in that one human experience where Satan tried to completely upset whatever God wanted to do in the earth thousands of years ago. And now he's made Adam a sinner. And now, and now because Adam is a sinner, Adam is going to die. And all the people that are born after Adam will all be sinners and they will all die. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Let's clap our hands and give God the praise. Thank you, Jesus. I don't just go to church. I am the church. You don't just go to Cornerstone. You are Cornerstone. Clap your hands and give him praise.
in the face of every lying devil, praise him. Hallelujah. The devil, sin and sinners, and death are the enemies of God. But I want to go back to our text. I'm a long way from the finish line, but I can see it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 24. Read this carefully with me. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, and he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. Next verse. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. So it's not just that God is going to destroy his enemies. It's that he is going to put them under his feet. What does that mean? In the beginning, God created the heavens. Go to Isaiah 66 and 1. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 1. It should be about halfway down. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. And so the very first thing that God created in Genesis chapter 1 was a throne. If we had time, we would go to 2 Chronicles where you will see a picture of the throne the throne of David and the throne of Solomon was a throne unlike any throne in the world. Had six steps to the throne and there was a footstool that was connected to the throne because every supreme dignity would prop his feet up on a footstool. And so the very first thing that God did before he created any life, any angels, any earth, any planet, sun, moon, wind, spotted tree owl, everything, is he created a throne. And so what Jesus is doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is he's answering to that throne. David said in the book of 1 Kings when describing his throne, we don't have time to get into all this, but I've studied it out for a study. I'm an academic study. I'm personally doing on thronology. I believe it's actually got enough merit to be called a doctrine. And I believe what Jesus is doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is he is answering to the great throne of Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, which is the greatest hermeneutic, homiletic, apologetic fact in the universe that God created a throne and a footstool and then began to create. And when Jesus is putting down all rule, all resistance, and all authorities, he is placing it under his footstool. 
David had a revelation that few have, which may be the reason why his throne exists and his prophecy exists, even though he fell into immorality. We know this because when Gabriel showed up in Luke chapter 1 to address Mary, he said, he that's going to sit on the throne of David is now here. And David, describing his throne, he said, the resting place for the ark, he called the ark the footstool of God. In 35 years of being saved, I've never heard anybody preach on the footstool. But it is a major revelation of how God is wrapping up end time events. When Jesus said that he put all things under his feet, he was talking about all things under his authority. And he was talking about the footstool. I'm about ready to show you how, how central this is to the word of God, both Old and New Testaments. And was a premier revelation. 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. 2 Chronicles 9, verses 17 and 18. Everybody say, God bless Brother Clark. I handed him a whole stack of scriptures. He's doing his best back there. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. Verse 18, and there were six steps to the throne with a footstool of gold, which were fastened to the throne and stays on each side of the sitting place. You never saw a throne under the kingdom of David and consecutive kings without that footstool. Because it was a representation calling back to Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. This is why I said there's not going to be a gas pedal pedal in this message, just Bible study. Psalm 110 and verse number 1 says this. This is what God is doing through the church right now, but shall do in Jesus. Psalm 110 and verse number 1. I thought it was on that list. I'm sorry. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies. Everybody said enemies. enemies. The devil. devil. Sin. Sin. And death. death. Till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Clap your hands and give him praise. I'm going to show you how big of a deal this is. This is a, this is a huge deal. Because in the book of Joshua, under the ministry of Joshua, when they were going into the promised land, there were six kings that were taken captive. And he called for every one of those six kings. You may remember this. And they said, put them on the ground. And every one of those six kings, they came and put their foot right on their neck. Because it was a type of subjugation. And it was a type of submission to a greater authority and a greater power. When you overcome the problems in your life, what you're doing is you are putting your foot right on that problem. And you're saying, you don't have control on me. I have control over you. We are so far beyond Acts 2.38. This is so far beyond that. This is, this is the vast landscape of what God is doing in the earth. Clap your hands and give him the praise.
Brother Chris Whitmire, we're about to buy our fifth building. I don't suppose you'd want to help on that building, would you? If I ask publicly, I know you're not going to say no. Listen, do you know how many people ride in the outer perimeters of darkness? They're nameless. They're faceless. They could care less whether that really happens or not. But with every building, we're putting our foot right on that old devil, saying, you ain't in control of what we do. No man is in control of what we do. No organization is in control of what we do. We are following God's dream. Clap your hands and give God the praise. footstool. Now my wife, my beautiful wife bought me a lazy boy. And uh, I was talking to her, in fact, this was yesterday. And we were talking and I was starting to fall asleep. She ran over to this lazy boy, Brother Rodriguez, and she flipped a switch that automatically brings up my footstool because I want to make my husband comfortable. God ain't comfortable in your life unless there's a footstool. And all those things that you have to battle and you have to deal with, God has already determined. That's under my feet. If you'll just keep praying, go on that fast he asks you to go on. Be faithful in all regards. All of those enemies are going to be placed right under the footstool that's in your life. The throne ain't enough. See, in this church, we're going to go way beyond Acts 2.38. See, Acts 2.38 is just the threshold of a brand new house of God that has mysteries and revelations and understandings that... You can explore rooms. See, the house of God still exists. Psalm chapter 23, the most favorite, famous psalm in the Bible says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord is now, it's not a physical structure, it's a dimension. <laughs> it's a dimension in the Holy Ghost. And if you have enough going on in the Spirit... You will never get bored with this. You'll never get dry. You'll never think that the world's a better place. Because there's so many rooms. Some One biblical translator said, when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, for in my Father's house are many mansions. That's not talking about a separate mansion. That's talking about a vast house of God with rooms that can never be fully ascertained and explored revelation and healing and victory and power and joy like I've never known. But it's so rare to find people that will take that journey. We're just trying to encourage you that everything you're dealing with in your world is not where your world is. Your world is right here. Let's lift our hands and give God. Let's take a little intermission right now. And let's destroy 
all the enemies that seek to rob you of revelation and rob you of ministry and rob you of your potential and rob you of God's plans for your life. All the fox that seek to spoil the vine and nip at your heels and distract you from the great panoramic plan that will utterly change your life. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 24. Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, uh, I'm sorry, I think I gave you the wrong one, brother. Let's skip that and go to Mark 12, 36. Thank you, Brother Clark. You're doing, you're doing an awesome job. For David himself, listen to this right here. This is where it starts getting neat. I've been waiting all service for this. We only got one service. We'll, we'll be here a while. For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Luke chapter 20 and verse number 43. Till I make thine enemies thy footstool. When you got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that's not so you can just do this because the pastor asked you to do it. Lift your voice because the pastor asked you to do it. God is at work fighting his enemies that are in your life. He's going to cast the devil out. He's going to deliver you from sin. He's going to make sure that you don't die. You don't suffer. This thing's so far bigger than Acts 2.38. Somebody shout and give God the praise. Somebody that's subduing your enemies, shout. Somebody that's casting down your enemies, give God the praise. God, from the very beginning, starting with the devil, then sin, then sinners, then death, said all of them are going to be my footstool. I'm going to prop my feet right on them. Ain't no devil going to try to take my authority because I got a child down there that prays, that knows my word. And right now, before Jesus accomplishes that throughout the book of Revelation and other places, he's doing it through the church. That's why, you know what, there's a guy in the Bible, I can't remember his name, but Joab said because he killed Joab's brother. They were running a race, and he was chasing after Joab, or Joab's brother. And, and he told him, he said, listen, he said, if you don't get off my, my, my track and my tail, I'm going to end up taking you out. I'm giving you a warning. And he wouldn't do it. He stayed right on him. And he took his spear and went backwards with it. And that spear went in right under the fifth rib, killed Joab's brother. And Joab said, you know what? I'm not going to tell another soul about this. I'm going to kill that man who killed my brother. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I cannot for the life of me remember this, this man's name, and it's not because I'm 65. It's because there's so much information 
floating through my cerebellum. But you know how he got that guy? That guy ended up running. I don't know if it was the city of refuge, but he went inside the gates of the city. And the cities of refuge, if there was a death where somebody lost their life, other than homicide, which is premeditated and intentional of killing a man, that as long as the man stayed in the city of refuge while that priest was alive, after the, after the priest died, the man could leave the city and go back to his family. But he had to stay in that city. So Joab said, uh, I need to talk to, I can't remember the guy's name. I need to, no, is it Abner? Okay, thank you. Who said that? Oh, thank you, Sister Wendy. Hallelujah. I want you to send Abner out here so I can talk to him. No, no, come on, send him out. Everything's fine. He killed my brother. I just want to, I just want to say hi. Give him a Starbucks card. <laughs> Give him a free pass to the emergency room at Sacred Heart Hospital. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> send him on out. Man, it's Joab, captain of the host. Joab was a, Joab was a filthy person. He was a shedder of innocent blood. And he, he died with his hands on the altar. That's a whole other message. Even the altar can't save some people. But he said, send him out. And so Abner, thank you, finally came out. Never, never got far from the gate of that city. He said, hey, man, so good to see you. Yeah, how's it going? Yeah, you're... All of Israel and David mourned over the death of Abner. But David gave a prophetical utterance. It's in your Bible and in my Bible. He said, Abner died as a fool. His hands were not bound. I know there's a pandemic going on. I know there's bitterness. Spirits of bitterness are working overtime on people. We're, uh, any offense to magnify it. Go to work on it. Everything, everything, everything. Satan's just trying to get you to just step outside the gate. Just, just get outside the church. Just, just, Jesus said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. The gates of hell shall not prevail, but you got to stay in the church. <laughs> Devil, I'm not leaving. I don't care what my kids do. I don't care what my neighbors do. I don't care what's going on. I'm not leaving God. I'm not leaving the church. I'm not leaving the safety. Because the gates of hell shall not prevail. Clap your hands and give him the praise. I have just, I have had some major major things that I've had to work through as a pastor. And one of them is, I'm thinking, okay, there's no question that this pandemic is part and parcel of the, of the last days. There's no question. The pandemic is referred to in Matthew 24, Luke 21, 
probably some other places. And if it's not this pandemic, it'll be another one that fits that. But God knows about all this. And I'm wondering, where are the backsliders? You would think that people that were raised on the pew and people that heard the book of Revelation, people heard pastor teach this and heard pastor and felt the presence of God and heard the voice of prophecy and felt the pull and the tug of conviction to a, an old-fashioned altar and felt the glory and felt his presence and saw sinners come up of a bar stool and be regenerated by the power of God and becoming upstanding citizens in God's kingdom. And people that saw that and heard all this, if you leave this, there's going to be a spirit move on you so fast you're going to forget all that stuff. You ain't going to remember what it felt like to feel the hairs on your arms stand up as an angel stood right next to you. You're going to forget about all those times God spared you when you could have died in that head-on collision. But you're, you walked in today and you'll walk out today. But you'll forget that it was God that spared you. And spared you from a destructive marriage and just saved you from this and saved you from that. Saved you. Where's the backsliders? Their minds have become blinded. There's a spirit involved now that will not let them put two and two together and connect the dots that gives meaning and understanding to the invisible world. Pastor, you're scaring us. Good. You're supposed to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You think you can waltz out and act like a ding-dong and waltz right back in? Well, here I am. No. We can't get some. It doesn't matter how much you love on them. It don't matter how much you do for them. There's a spirit involved now. Let's lift our hands and let's at least offer our prayers as we should do. But if you've got a lost child or a lost loved one, you can't be weaving all over the road of your commitment and consecration. you got people. But I'm going to destroy that spirit. That's an enemy of God. And I'm going to allow those enemies of God to be destroyed through my obedience and destroyed through my commitment and destroyed through my consecration. And, and I know I used to pray five minutes a day, but I'm going to increase it to an hour because we're in a different day. We're in a different world. We're in a different place in Revelation. We're in a different place in the Bible. There's different rules that are in effect today than the pew you grew up on. There's different rules that are being articulated in the spirit world right now. I've marveled. Where's... Where's the backsliders? They know we love them. We'll weep with them. We'll rejoice with them. We'll cry with them. We'll fast with them. We'll buy them lunch. Don't ask me to pay your rent, but I'll buy you lunch. I have paid rent. I paid a guy's rent one time. He was a hell's angel kind of guy. We first started the church. I didn't have a lot of experience building a church, so I made a lot of mistakes. One of them is I paid a guy's rent. Pastor, 
need you to pay my rent, you know. Okay. I went to visit him because he didn't come back to church. Brother Wokey, I see you back here. You're one of the originals. I kid you not. In his plate glass window for the duplex, I co-signed for. Ding dong. Okay? I co-signed for and I paid his rent thinking we're going to help save this entire family. In the plate glass window of this duplex was the perfect round hole the size of a basketball. The weeds were high enough to tickle my elbows, but you couldn't see my elbow because I was modest and my shirt went beneath my elbow. But I marvel, where's, I'm telling you what's going on. The enemy is having revival just like God's having revival. You better know what you got. You better value what you got. You better say, you know what? There ain't no devil. There ain't no sinner. There ain't no situation. Man, that was weird. Well, pastor, I got this friend in the world. Good. You ought to be winning them and then instead of them winning you. Well, this is what's... This is what's going on at the club. This is what's going on at church. Well, we can dance at the club. Well, come to this church and you can watch my pastor dance because I don't do it yet. Well, we've got excitement at the club. We've got stuff going on here that if ever, if ever, it's, it's fixing to get out how good it is here, you just get, you just, you just get ready. That's why the next one's going to seat a 1,000. Because I believe in end time revival. I believe as the world goes down, the church is going to go up. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. All right, you may be seated. I'm only halfway done. In conclusion, just kidding. Look at what was preached on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 34. Watch this. This is Peter's fantastic message, starting in verse number 34, Acts chapter number 2. He's preaching this to God's people on the day of Pentecost. And he says, for David is not ascended into the heavens but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord. I want to tell you, this particular passage of scripture was a stumbling block for the, the Jews of Jesus' day. In fact, you'll remember that they brought this scripture, they came to Jesus to try to trap him, and Jesus quoted this scripture. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. Now look at verse number 35. Until I make thy foes thy footstool. This was in the message on the day of Pentecost in which 3,000 were baptized. Look at verse 36. Therefore, therefore, as a result, that God is going to make all of his enemies a footstool. How is that going to happen? Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall, you shall, you shall. 
Clap your hands and give God the praise. Through the, through the church, God is going to park the devil. You're going to overcome sin, and you're going to overcome death. Clap your hands and give him praise. And he's going to make the enemies of God his footstool. God never gave up on his Genesis 1 and 1. Oh, yeah, that's just kind of cute, isn't it? Just Genesis 1 and 1, 1 and 2, yeah, that's, we're way past that. We're still answering to that. Everything in this book is answering to Genesis 1 and 1. God said, okay, devil, just go ahead and do your thing. God hasn't moved off his throne. He just, he's as comfortable as he can be. His feet are propped up. The devil, the devil takes a third of the angels, and they, they tempt Adam. And now God, God had planned that there was going to be this, and it's going to be dominion, and it's going to be rule. And now there's a devil, and now there's sinners. And in Genesis chapter 5, there's the very first murder. And in Genesis chapter 10, they're building the Tower of Babel, and all of this is going on. God's just sitting on his throne. Because he said before the beginnings of the world, I already had a plan. God's not getting nervous. God doesn't have a knitting ball. He's, he's not knitting and God's not fretting. And Oh, pastor, I got this problem and I don't know what I'm going to do. And God's not up there biting his fingernails halfway to his elbows. He says, I got people down there. They got power over the devil. They have power over sin. They have power over death, hell, and the grave. Okay, I'm coming down to a close. It is my dream and my desire. Just let that baby cry. He's letting me know I'm preaching too long. That's my grandson. Is that brave? Okay. He'll get a spanking, but in a few years. <laughs> won't be me that does it. He, it won't be. Yeah, I don't, I don't need to do it. He's got two good parents right there. I want, I want everybody to look at me for one second. It is my dying passion that this church come to the place of what I'm preaching about right now. All of us have been, been blessed to live in the United States of America. You can go to any supermarket and find five different kinds of ketchup. You can have 20 different kinds of cheese, holes, no holes, sliced, not, you got all these choices. It is my dying passion. This next building in the education center, 10,000 square foot, at least 10,000 that we're going to build for our church school, will probably be my last achievement. But that doesn't clo come close spiritually to this congregation understanding really who we are in the earth and what we're doing here to where we're all being used of the gifts and we're all manifesting spiritual character and integrity and carefulness. And, and when we pray, things happen. And when we speak, people are blessed. And that is my dying passion. 
that we get so far beyond the 20th century perception of an Acts 2.38. I go to this church, and this is my path. And I, I understand all that, but we're so far beyond that. Luke chapter 10, and I end with this. And Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. How fast is lightning? Uh, 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 no, faster than that. The Bible calls it a twinkle of an eye. Look at the next verse. Satan fell, I give you power. That's dunamis, to tread. I'm almost done, I promise. Thank you for your patience. You've been a wonderful group of people to preach to this morning. I'm almost done. That word tread, the direct meaning of a footstool means trodden. The very things that are your biggest problems were never intended to take you out, take you down, make you carnal, make you hard, make you bitter, make, make you anything except when we came to Spokane, Washington 26 years ago, I did not know one person in this building except for my wife and my daughter. Every situation, every accusation, every ugly experience, we just keep walking. It's not between my ears. It's not in my heart. It's not in my imagination. It's under my feet. Clap your hands and give him praise. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Let's stand to our feet. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. This is what God, I believe, originally gave to Adam. Just keep walking. Then he said it to Adam. Just keep walking. Then they said it to the nation of Israel. Just keep walking. Now they're telling it to the church. Just keep walking. Because with every step, with every step that Adam took, God said, it's yours. With every step that, Adam, with, that Abraham took, God said, it's yours. I believe that is exactly what God meant for Adam. That the garden would have circumvented the globe. Because Adam and Eve would have taken the principles of that garden with them. With every step, it would have flourished. It would have been green. It would have all been under the dominion of God's principles and precepts. But Satan ended it, according to 1 Corinthians chapter, Isaiah chapter 14, the world became a wilderness. That's why Jesus started his ministry in the wilderness. And then that's why you got to start your experience in the wilderness. Because you're going to convert the wilderness into a garden. But you got to start walking. 
Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. Just keep walking. Everything you're going through is going to be under your feet. Yeah, I got over that. Yeah, I got the victory over that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I got the victory over it, Pastor. Yes, I remember that one thing. He tried to take me out, tried to get me to go back to the bar, tried to get me to go back to the club, tried to get me to do something stupid. But I believed in God, and God fought the enemy through me. I allowed God to do it. I created an atmosphere of prayer. I created an atmosphere of consecration. And God defeated the enemy through me. There are many people under the sound of my voice that I hope that this was a revelation to you that your life, the purpose of your life is not to just sit on a pew and now pay tithes because that's what they teach and believe there. I believe in all that, but it's far more than that, far more than that. You are allowing God to defeat his enemies that are in you. Before he does it in eternity, he's first going to do it in you. And as you allow him to set you free, when you give up cigarettes, you get a little more revelation. When you give up immorality, you get more power. Everything that you allow God to give you victory, you go higher and higher and get more power and get more understanding and get more revelation and get more wisdom. Lift your hands and give him praise. God's reaching for so many people here today. You've allowed yourself, because of the conditions of this world, to put you in a box. And God said, no, 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 no. This altar is open. If you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost, this altar is open. God is here to fill you to the uttermost. But there's many under the sound of my voice that need to let God destroy the enemy through you. Come on. Take somebody by the hand and come on down to the altar. Let's sing a song. Come on, this altar's for you. God brought you here because God's going to use you to get your family here. You can't afford to throw in the towel. That which the enemy thought was his is going to have to be absolutely taken from his grasp. Come on, saints, help us pray. Find somebody up here and help us pray. In the name of Jesus.